Hello everyone, welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands, I'm the Head of Content at B2B Marketing, and I'm joined today by Robert Norham, who, amongst other things, is one of our resident experts within our community intelligence platform, Propolis. And today we're going to be talking about the last 10 years in the world of ABM. Um, but before we do, Robert, could you perhaps just tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in all things ABM to date? Yeah, thanks, David. Um, well, I, I, I've been working in B2B marketing for about 30 years. Uh, I, it could be longer, but I try and cap it at that just because I don't sound even older than, than I would be otherwise. Uh, and I've specialized in ABM pretty much for the last 10 years. Um, I kind of fell into it. Uh, an ex-colleague uh, contacted me one day and said he was leaving a company, an agency who were doing ABM. And would I like to get involved? And uh, I said, well, what's ABM? You know, and uh, that was 10 years ago. Uh, and clearly since then, it's become a rather central um, point, I suppose, of reference in my working life. Uh, I've worked uh, as a sort of embedded consultant with a number of agencies. Um, I work directly with clients. Uh, and as you've alluded to, I've been very heavily involved uh, with B2B marketing. Uh, for the last five years, actually, I've been running the ABM Essentials training course that we've had nearly 500 people through. Uh, we've done private training as well. Uh, and for the last couple of years, I've been the growth expert on Propolis, which in obviously includes and focuses quite heavily on ABM, but also looks at, at channel uh, and demand gen. Fantastic. So just before we begin, uh, a note to our audience, say if you'd like to learn more about Propolis and about how it can help you and your team become truly world-class marketeers, um, just follow the link in the description where you can learn more at your own leisure. Um, but Robert, you know, the term account-based marketing is, has been around for quite a while now, around 20 years, I believe. Um, and the concept of treating your customers or prospects in a really personalized way and as a market unto themselves has been practiced long before then as well. But regardless, it seems to me that the explosion of ABM's popularity in the last 10 years or so is just undeniable. Um, so starting in the early 2010s, what do you think caused interest in ABM to surge? Well, I think it's fair to say, David, it's been surging for a long time and it seems like it just keeps getting more popular. Um, when I first started working in ABM, it, it, as I said, as I sort of referenced, it, it wasn't a well-known term. Um, and there were really some pioneer organizations that were focused on it. Uh, and I think of brands like, you know, Fujitsu, uh, Accenture, um, Oracle, and maybe a few others as well. And I think their primary focus was to pick up on what enterprise sales and marketing had been doing, as you said, for a while, and to really start to codify that into a, um, you know, a methodology that said, how do we look after our most important customers um, to keep them, to grow them, um, and, and of course, to protect them in the longer term. So certainly when I set out in ABM, it was almost all about looking after your existing customers and growing them. Um, obviously, over the last 10 years, things have transformed and a lot of people are now using ABM, you know, for business development and so forth. But I, I guess if, if I was to answer your question in one sentence, um, it's about looking after your most important customers um, and really, you know, wrapping your arms around them to understand their business uh, and to maximize your revenue opportunities with the organization. Fantastic. And you mentioned there that, you know, in those days, the focus was more around growing existing customers. Did you find that that was more on a one to one ABM sort of scale or were marketers already thinking about how to extend that sort of approach to, uh, you know, a, a number of accounts? 
No, back in the early days, uh, and for me, that was 10 years ago, you know, it was very much one-to-one. Um, it was major, uh, you know, technology companies, very large organizations, big brands, basically selling to very large customers, um, you know, the major banks, um, perhaps uh, central government, um, and, and really large organizations where, you know, the size of the prize justified a serious investment on a one-to-one basis. Mm. Do you think that one-to-one is still the purest form of ABM? Because there's a lot of a lot of talk these days about, you know, one-to-many. And there's some people out there, and I, I, to be fair, I'd probably put myself in this category as well, that think one-to-many ABM isn't really ABM. But I'm just interested to know what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, it's a great question and obviously an ongoing debate. Um, I mean, for me, one-to-one ABM is clearly the purest form of ABM. Uh, you know, account-based marketing is obviously about focusing on a single account. Um, and clearly that makes sense if you're looking at multi-million dollar or multi-million pound deals. Um, it obviously becomes harder uh, as you come down the food chain and deals get smaller to justify that level of investment. Um, and of course, you know, one-to-one ABM does require a significant re- investment financially but resource time effort and so on so i I think organizations have been trying to work out how to scale one-to-one for some time Um, and to start with i think it was well we've done one how do we do how do we do five we've done five how do we do ten but obviously there comes a point where you probably say we can't keep scaling at that rate and that's where one to few i think has kicked in uh, and is now actually a very credible form of ABM, in my opinion, um, where you would pick perhaps an, a, you know, a vertical or a sector. You'd cherry pick 10 or 15 accounts in that sector. You'd still build um, a very bespoke value proposition and messaging. You'd really want to be talking to each of those accounts as if it was one to one. But you're doing it at least at some form of scale. Uh, to your point about one to many, and is that true ABM? You know, I, I think it can be, but I think doing it to thousands of accounts, as, as some technology vendors would encourage you to do, is a bit of a misnomer for ABM. I think if you were cherry picking your top fifty or hundred accounts, maybe a couple of hundred accounts, um, then I think you can feasibly talk about one to many being a viable um, strategy. Clearly, not giving you the coverage you would get with one to one or one to few, but still at least giving you air cover. Uh, and treating those those top accounts, those named accounts, in a different way. Mm. And do you find that with that one to few approach, it, where it's really useful is in actually, you know, signing on new customers? Or do you find it's more useful in a kind of grow your existing account sort of approach? Or, or maybe it works both ways? Yeah, again, a good question. I mean, I think it's very difficult to justify one to one ABM with a new name, new account, because obviously it's all about risk. Uh, and risk management, and the chances of landing a deal, even if you do a great job with the marketing um, and the selling, is is not necessarily guaranteed. I think if you look at a sector, uh, and you perhaps, as I say, cherry pick 10 or 15 accounts, then it becomes quite manageable to say, well, we'll we'll do half of those with existing customers we want to grow or protect, and we'll do half of it with new name, new accounts, uh, where we want to break into for the first time. So for me, one to few is probably the most intense form of ABM for a new name, new account in the vast majority of cases. And of course, one-to-many is, is, is at least a viable option if you're looking to generate interest, build dialogue and initial conversations with a, with a company where 
um, you might upgrade them from one to many to one to few or even one to one at some stage, you know, during the process. Mm. It's an interesting question, though, I think, because when you get to that one to many scale, and I'm not sure, you know, many could mean anything, couldn't it? It could mean 100, it could mean 100,000. But is there a point at which it crosses over from ABM to effectively just brand marketing, do you think? Or am I, is that not fair? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great um, analogy too. If, if you think of a virtual dartboard, you know, the target, then then I talk about the total addressable market being the full circle, if you like, you know, the, 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 the full dartboard. And that might be a thousand accounts. It might be 500 accounts. You know, it, it might be more than that. And the total addressable market is covered off through brand building um, and light touch demand gen. Then I think if you come in a layer, concentric circles in the dartboard, then the next level in is where one-to-many kicks in. And that's, I think, where you you have to have named the accounts and you've gone through some kind of account selection process that says, you know, we're looking at accounts of a certain size or a certain location or a certain, um, you know, industry type or, or, or at least qualifying those accounts in. And at that point, you go from a total addressable market maybe of a couple of thousand accounts to a one-to-many program, perhaps of two or three hundred, and the, the focus then is obviously justified because you've gone through the process of thinking about well, which account should we be concentrating on? If you come in, you know, to extend the analogy into the dartboard again, then one to few is the next layer in, and that's where you're cherry picking your most important verticals and within those your most important accounts, and then the sweet spot right in the centre of that target, you know, is your one-to-many. Uh, one-to-many is your one-to-one accounts um and and you may only be doing a handful of those in a given year um and that's going to depend obviously on on your budget your resources and the type of accounts you're targeting okay fantastic so moving on then um you know obviously we're talking today about sort of the last 10 years in abm and, and your experience there um the amount of data we can now collect on our audience has gone completely through the roof, you know, intent data. Um, it, it seems like every year there's more ways of interacting on social media. You know, it used to just be likes. Now there's a million emoticons you can use. And there's much more, you know, there's many more examples than just that. But do you think that influx of new data points has fundamentally changed the way that ABM is practiced? Or do you think the process is still basically basically exactly the same as it was sort of 10 years ago? Well, I think intent data has obviously changed the landscape to a considerable degree. Um, I think in some ways, though, the sort of plethora of data has confused people. Uh, and we've sort of touched on it already about, well, what, what do we mean by ABM? Do we mean one-to-one or do we mean one-to-many? Do we mean one account or do we mean 500? And I, I think to some degree, the the sort of um, proliferation of data or the explosion of data, to, to coin it that way, and, and of course, the number of technology providers and platforms and technologies out there that you can use to target accounts has definitely made things a lot more complicated. Um, so from that perspective, I think, you know, the buying chain gets more confusing. And I think, it, you know, if you're thinking about, well, what should my tech stack look like or how should I be leveraging data to the optimal efficiency, then you really need to start with your strategy. You know, and if you've worked out, well, these, these, this is our target account universe. This is how we're going to focus on the most important accounts. This is how we're going to focus on the most important prospects. This is what we're going to do with, with a, a name set of accounts beyond that. Uh, and after that, frankly, it's brand building or demand gen. You know, you really need to have a clear strategy to stop yourself, I think, getting overwhelmed by the data, by the technology available. 
That's mm. a really good point, actually, because it, no matter what survey we do, what, what interview we do, it doesn't matter what it is. One thing that always seems to come up is just the, I don't want to say inability, but the, the confusion around grappling with all the data that's now available. And if, it feels like to me, and I, I could be completely wrong in this, so it, it's just my opinion, but I feel sometimes marketing attracts people who are, you know, quite creative by nature and they're perhaps not, you know, the world's natural data scientists. And that appears to be an increasingly large part of marketing. Do you think there's a challenge there in marketing in that, it, that people just don't necessarily always have the skills to actually uh, make sense of all that data? Yeah, I mean, I think it does beg a question of, uh, you know, what kind of skill sets do you need for ABM? And clearly, back in the day, it was marketeers. But without question, I think data scientists now have, you know, a key role to play. And increasingly, you're obviously finding marketing ops uh, also taking a really key role in terms of understanding the technology and, and how to use it effectively. And there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, well, what do I need to become an ABMer? You know, what do I need? What skills do I need? And I think in a way you need to have all of them. You know, you need to have an understanding of marketing, sales, data, technology. Obviously, you're going to probably focus or major on one or two of those. And you need to then bring in other people, you know, into your team or, or, or working with people within the organization to really make sure you've got all bases covered. Hmm. There's a question there then in that you're saying that, you know, you need people who have the knowledge around data science, uh, marketing operations and process, which, you know, as we learned in Martechopia uh, in March earlier this year is really important and on the rise. And obviously you need a, a mature understanding of the relationship between sales and marketing as well. It sounds to me that ABM could be something only for more mature organizations. Is, is that fair? You know, is it is running an ABM pilot, for instance, a bit of a stretch for a company that's fairly immature in its marketing approach? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, personally, I think ABM makes a lot of sense if you're uh, selling high value solutions to large organizations. And from that perspective, I think you can always build a business case, you know, whether you're starting out um, or whether you're actually a pretty sophisticated operation. I think w what for me gets confusing is when people talk about doing ABM, you know, to the SMB market, if you like, or to a smaller uh, sales order value. Um, because then I think it does get much harder to justify, um, you know, the focus, obviously on a one-to-one, -one, a one-to-few basis, very focused. Um, but even on a one-to-many basis, if you're looking to spread your net as wide as possible, then that doesn't really equate to ABM. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's a, a, t a completely fair answer. And, you know, back to the, the topic of the last 10 years, um, ABM directly relates marketing to revenue growth. You know, it's that complete opposite of the old view of marketing is the you know pens, PowerPoints and parties department or whatever you want to call it. Um, and with that in mind, how do you feel that ABM over the past 10 years has impacted the perception of the marketing department within organisations? Well, I think when it's done well and the organization has really bought into ABM, then marketing is playing a really strategic role. They're working really closely with sales um, and potentially working with the wider organization to, to really develop a strategy per account or per group of accounts in a tightly controlled sector. Um, having said that, you know, I still obviously see a lot of people every year, train a lot of people every year on ABM, and I still think there is a battle um, I use the term advisedly, you know, 
where marketing are still looking to justify themselves and still looking to really be taken seriously within a lot of enterprise organizations. And from that perspective, I think ABM is, is actually the answer because I think if you can um, position it in the right way, define it in the right way for your organization, get senior management to, to understand and to really buy into the concept of ABM and then engage the wider organization, then I think by default, you're playing a central role, you're playing a strategic role, and it definitely isn't the coloring in department anymore. Um, but it is without question still um, you know, an issue that a lot of people I talk to face. And there is still that battle, I think, which is uh, a lot of technology companies, but even professional services and other industries see that you know, the sales as their, their breadwinners uh, and therefore the kind of uh, the heroes of the, of the organization, if you like, and marketing very often as some kind of internal support unit. So I'm, I'm constantly um, you know, trying to encourage my clients who are marketeers uh, to buck that trend you know, and to change that perception. Mm. That's a really interesting point because I think that it sounds like, and I might be, I might be just fear mongering here. I th- it sounds like there might be a bit of a catch twenty two there, because as you say, ABM really proves the value of marketing to an organisation because it's directly leading to growing accounts or, or perhaps having uh, success attracting new accounts. But if marketing doesn't have that kind of respect within the organisation anyway, I can imagine it's quite a challenge to get that buy in in the first place. So. Yeah, how can uh, budding ABMers actually get that kind of executive support? Do you think? Well, I think it's about building the business case. You know, I mean, if you think about why would you focus on ABM in the in the first place, it's typically because eighty percent of your revenue comes from twenty percent of your customers, and then if you take that twenty percent, you know, it's eighty percent of the revenue from from that group uh, of the revenue. Uh, you know, coming from 20% of the customers and almost like a Pareto's law, it just keeps going. So I, I think you can build a case fairly quickly that says there are 10, 20, 50, 100, 200 companies that could change our entire business landscape. And we really need to focus on those in the right way. And it isn't just about marketing by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's about reframing the organization to think about your most important customers and prospects in a diff- fundamentally different way. And that, I think, does require, um, you know, buy-in, active buy-in from the top of the organization. In a lot of cases, it's actually going to involve change management, you know, where you actually have to think about restructuring the organization and how you do business. And and then it isn't really, you know, marketing in the kind of traditional sense of marketing, people who run events, do PR, uh, book the advertising, you know, maybe come up with the collateral and communications. It's actually, how do we go to market? You know, who do we talk to? How do we engage with them? Um, and what is the optimal process for uh, winning an account, keeping an account, growing an account, protecting it? And, and you know, what's the, the optimal way of, of maximizing revenue across a customer lifecycle that could be a decade, you know? Mm, yeah, and I, I can imagine as well that with the amount of literature and, and case studies around ABM currently, I mean, look at just our own B2B Marketing Awards case studies for best use of ABM over the years it must be easier than ever to get buy-in from the board or, well, I, I mean, I would like to think that. Would you agree with that or would you disagree? Um, I, I still think 
work needs to be done. I mean, you're right. There's so many case studies now. Um, you know, there are books talking about case studies. Um, there, there's a huge amount of content. There's the awards. And, and there's, you know, absolutely empirically provable data that says doing ABM to these accounts in these ways works. But I still think marketing is is often seen as an optional extra. You know, we've just got to look at what the government are trying to do at the moment, you know, with this so-called impending recession, et cetera. And they're encouraging companies to, to reduce their marketing spend to subsidize pricing to customers, um, which obviously is complete heresy from a marketing point of view. So I think there are a lot of misperceptions about what marketing could or should do. And from my perspective, ABM is is really positioning marketing in a, in a strategic role within the organization and should be driving the success of the company rather than being seen as, as something that you, you could live without. Mm. And uh, I think you mentioned books there. And uh, one, one very well-known book in the world of ABM was written by Bev Burgess, who wrote A Practitioner's Guide to Account-Based Marketing, I believe in 2017, um, which is halfway through the 10-year period in question. So very convenient. What kind of impact do you think this book has made on, on ABM and generally marketing? Well, I think it's an excellent book. Um, and it's worth saying that there's a second edition that came out in 2021. So if people are looking for it, then they, they need to find the newer version, which is not maroon, it's blue. Um, but it's a fantastic book in the sense that it codified ABM. You know, it really set it up and structured as to, you know, how do you articulate it? How do you sell it into the organization? What's the process? How do we align sales and marketing? How do we develop account-specific value propositions? And it also had some really compelling case studies from companies that had done it. So, um, you know, the first edition of the book became, I mean, I, I was reading the dust jacket the other day and it, it, somebody talked about it being the Bible, you know, for ABM. And I think it pretty much is. And I, I think the second edition is even better. So um, I think if you're going to read a book on ABM, then that's the one you should read for sure. Um, and interestingly, I mean, Bev uh, is, I won't say prolific, but, you know, is, is pretty busy. Uh, she wrote a book uh, called Executive Engagement Strategies between the two editions, which, again, is talking about things that go beyond ABM in terms of the purest form of account-based marketing um, and start talking about how do we engage senior executives within businesses. And it's really um going beyond the pure phrase ABM and starting to think about the impact as an organization. And, and without kind of preempting some of your later questions, I, I happen to know that, you know, the, the book she's working on is, is about account-based growth. And ABM is, in fact, only one chapter in a whole book on account-based growth. And that's going to be very interesting, I think, for marketeers to consume that and, and work out what their role is and who else they need within the organization to be really successful. That's interesting, account-based growth. I mean, growth marketing is one thing that has come up a lot in the past couple of years. And there's quite a bit of debate around whether or not it's actually even a thing, because yeah. you know all marketing should be driving growth. Otherwise, you know, why is it there, <laughs> frankly? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what is account-based growth? What differentiates it from ABM? Well, I, I haven't read the book yet, obviously, because it hasn't Fair come enough. out. Um, but my understanding is that account-based growth is basically saying um, we need to structure the whole organization to be optimized to really look after our most important accounts. You know, how do we engage them at the outset? 
How do we bring them through the sales cycle? How do we win them? How do we grow them? What does customer success look like? You know, if you're in a SaaS-based environment, how do you optimize usage? Um, and of course, what you're trying to do is to build long-term relationships that guarantee you, you know, a, a long-term revenue stream from an organization. And I think that goes well beyond marketing. It goes beyond sales. And whilst, as I say, I haven't seen the contents of the book yet, my guess is it's really encouraging uh, organizations to take a much more strategic approach to their most important accounts right the way through the organization where you, almost every department you could think of would probably be involved. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I always wonder if part of the challenge of implementing ABM in a company is the use of the word marketing because instantly yeah. it's like, oh, it's marketing's job. It's no one else's job. Whereas yeah. actually every interaction a salesperson has or a customer success person has with a potential client is, is all kind of implicit in that, in that, well, in the marketing really. So maybe when well, hopefully uh, account-based growth is, you know, the, the cure all that companies need. I don't, I don't know. Well, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I heard the, the head of global ABM for Microsoft literally four or five years ago say, we don't call it ABM, we call it ABE, account-based engagement. You've had more recently people talking about ABX, you know, account-based experience. Uh, and other people have talked about account-based sales and marketing and other versions of the acronym. Somehow, I think ABM as an acronym is probably here to stay. Um, but I think it's fair to say that it, it, it can be um, a hurdle or an obstacle. And I think the idea that it's linked to marketing intrinsically, as opposed to being a strategic company initiative, it is actually a bit of a problem. So I've had quite a lot of clients over the years who've said, you know, yes, we get it's ABM, but we're going to call it ABS or we're going to call it ABX or we're going to call it ABE. Um, and from that perspective, I think that's fine. You know, it doesn't really matter what it's called as long as it's being done properly and working. With that in mind, then, what, you know, whatever we call it, let's a, ABG, we'll call it in this instance, but, you know, that encom uh, encompasses ABE or ABX, whatever you want to call it. Is it down to marketing to lead that in organizations or really should CMOs be trying to get the CEO to, to really kind of roll that out, do you think? Yeah, I think in a perfect world, you would have, you know, I've talked about executive engagement. I think you would have literally the top of the organization saying, this is how we look after our most important customers. This is how we look after our most important prospects. And this is the process for engagement. And then it might be that marketing take a key role in orchestrating that. But there would clearly need to be, as we've touched on already, you know, you'd need research and insight teams, you'd need customer success, you need sales, you need marketing, even things like finance. You know, I mean, if you don't treat your, your current customers in the right way, you know, if you're sending them invoices or chasing them for money in, you know, in an inappropriate fashion, you could clearly risk the relationship with the account. So I think almost every touch point with the customer should be really part of the ABM mix. And that's why, you know, perhaps it does need re renaming. Um, and maybe finally, uh, account-based growth could be could be the way to go. Who knows? Um, that's not particularly good news for our branding of our conference, but um, so let's hope it stays as ABM for now. Um, one thing you mentioned there was quite interesting, actually. You said how, you know, every, every um, what am I trying to say? every instance of communication with a client, let's say sending an invoice, that has an impact on how the client perceives you. Is ABM 
helping to deliver a good brand. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not sure I'm making sense with that. What I'm trying to say is, is treating your key accounts as a kind of a market unto themselves and personalizing all of your communications with them. Is that a brand building exercise as much as anything? Yeah, I mean, if you go back to, you know, pre-ABM days, perhaps, but if you go back to talking about brand, everybody's always said, you know, it's not the logo, um, you know, it's not it's not the corporate tagline. It's actually the, the customer experience through every single touch point. And, and I think, you know, um, ABM is about building the brand experience on a account by account basis, where it's everything from how you communicate with them, how you talk to them, how you sell to them, how you engage with them, how you look after them after they've bought. So in that sense, it is brand building. And it's that total brand experience that we're talking about. And um, just speaking of Bev, because I'm aware we spoke about her in a a fantastic book, Practitioner's Guide to ABM. Um, Bev's going to be speaking at our upcoming Global ABM Conference, which takes place on the 2nd of November in 155 Bishopsgate, London, uh, both physically and virtually as well, if you prefer to attend that way. Um, In Bev's session, she's going to be leveraging the latest research and best practice case studies behind her new book, um, which I believe you just mentioned, and will provide the commercial understanding you need to make ABM a success in your businesses. Uh, Crucially, Bev's also going to show you how to increase your own impact and accelerate your own career as a marketer. So um, if you'd like to learn more about that session, just follow the link in the description um, and we'll also have plenty of information about all the other sessions uh, at the event. Um, but back to the back to my line of interrogation. Um, obviously, the pandemic couldn't do a podcast without mentioning the pandemic, although it's, you know, in many ways in the past or depending where you are in the world. Um, how, how do you think the pandemic has impacted uh, ABM in particular? You know, whether that's the perception of ABM or the application of ABM or otherwise. Well, from a personal point of view, um, everything continued almost exactly as it had done pre-pandemic, um, with the, the caveat that everything was obviously now being done remotely, and we had to be more imaginative about how we communicated with customers, because you know face-to-face events and direct marketing became more challenging as people were working from home and weren't so accessible. But I think at a philosophical level, um, all it really did was to you know, double down, if you like, on on the power of ABM that says we we don't need to be creating a lot of noise with companies that aren't going to buy from us. We need to be focusing on our most important customers and prospects, and we need to make sure that we're in front of them and talking to them on a regular basis about things that will interest them, interest them and engage them. So from that perspective, I won't say the pandemic helped ABM, um, but I but I think it just continued as as normal. And if anything, probably other budgets were dialed down, you know, event budgets, obviously ground to a halt, Um, direct marketing budgets, pretty much ground to a halt. I I think probably there wasn't as much brand building, you know, as people were worried about income streams and so forth. So I think ABM actually did very well out of the pandemic. And I didn't really see any kind of tailing off beyond companies, obviously, that worked in sectors where they were really hit you know, travel, retail, et cetera, it, it, almost inevitably that they had to put a stop virtually on, on all marketing activity. But I think if you look at technology and professional services and so forth, um, all, all they did really was, was, was business as usual. And if anything, probably a, a higher percentage of investment in ABM. Mm. So uh, back to the Global ABM Conference, which, as I mentioned, is uh, taking place on the 2nd of November in London. 
Um, Robert, you are obviously speaking at the event as our, as our growth five expert in Propolis. Can you tell us just a little bit about you know, what you'll be talking about personally and, and perhaps some of the sessions you're most looking forward to? Yes. So, I mean, first of all, I'm really looking forward to the event. As you said, there's a real buzz about it this year. Um, last year was was pretty good, but I think, you know, that was still coming out of the pandemic. This feels like it's really going to be um, all guns blazing, you know. So personally, I'm going to be uh, covering off some of the stuff I think you're working on, which is the ABM census, which uh, we're, we're talking to Sixth Sense about and, and some other panelists as well. I think we're also going to be looking at um, some of the uh, ABM award entries, um, either physically or, or, or virtually at the event, to give people a taste of, of who the shortlisted entries are and, and the standard of work this year. In, in terms of the, you know, the agenda, obviously I'm looking forward to Bev's presentation. She has a habit of kind of game-changing presentations. Um, last year it was... I won't say controversially, but she basically said, you've got to make a decision. Are you doing ABM or are you doing M2A, which stood for marketing to accounts, which touches on some of the things we've been talking about, you know, as to what is real ABM. This year, I think it will clearly heavily focus around the research they've been doing for the book um, and looking at account-based growth and perhaps rethinking some of the definitions um, I'm fascinated to see John Miller speaking from Demand Base. You know, he's a, a very colourful character and a great speaker. Uh, people probably know him from Marketo and/or Engaggio, um, but he's bound to have some some I won't say out there opinions, but definitely some some challenging thoughts. Um, there's a whole raft of agencies. I mean, it's almost a who's who of uh, UK and European centric agencies. Um, that have been driving ABM for the last five years, maybe even 10 years in some cases. And there's also some fantastic brands, you know, so Cisco, BT, NTT, Google, ServiceNow, you know, they're all going to be talking about their their personal experiences. So I think it promises to be, um, you know, a great conference. Um, You asked me to pull out a few. Um, When I was looking at the agenda just before we spoke, I saw Andrew Fitzgerald from Kindrel, uh, which uh, I thought the title was fantastic, Building an ABM Growth Engine for a $19 billion startup. Um, And Kindrel, as some people may know, is the spinoff from IBM Services Operation, and they've got 90,000 employees. So that could be pretty interesting. Um, I'm also keen to see Rachel Dye from Cisco talking about how she's kind of changed perceptions of what ABM uh, is and could be within Cisco and she clearly had to, to work quite hard in terms of changing some, some fairly uh, well-formed opinions um, and working very closely with the sales uh, organization to, to get that up and running. And then the last one I pulled out was Adrian Hardy from BT. BT, another one of those really early adopters of ABM, um, but they're now looking at AI and using that to develop account-based scoring and propensity modeling to sort of short circuit the process. And I do think that actually, you know, this is where intent and propensity modeling can help organizations massively, even if they then still do a very personalized one-to-one approach in a more traditional form of ABM, you can use the technology to help you get to the right accounts that are in market, that are engaged, and obviously that want to talk to you. Mm, That's fascinating as well. I mean, AI powered ABM, I think one thing that potentially concerns people before they really go in on ABM is, is the idea of 
how you know how much time is it going to take basically it's a lot of work it's a lot of research it's a lot of delving through spreadsheets of data you know if, if ai can be leveraged to actually help power that that could i mean theoretically that could be a game changer i would imagine is do you think that's fair i do i mean there, there are members of propolis uh, and i won't quote the individual concern but you know he's been doing abm for a long time and his view is that using an intent-based approach you can basically look at a massive amount of accounts, shortlist those very rapidly into a much smaller number of accounts, and then decide how you want to engage them, whether that's one-to-many, one-to-few, or one-to-one. And from that perspective, I think um, you know, propensity modeling and using AI to actually identify of our you know, universe of 5,000, there are 250 in market, there are 50 that look interesting and there are 30 that we need to focus on because we think we have a realistic chance of winning them. That could actually accelerate the whole process for marketeers, um, you know, right right across the board. Mm. So the future is bright in ABM, um, but just to bring things down to a slightly more depressing level for a moment, um, it looks like we might be looking down the barrel of a recession. Um, and in last year's ABM census, which you mentioned a moment ago, um, most of our respondees to the survey were actually looking to increase their ABM activity over the next 12 months. But now that we are running the survey again for 2022, do you think it's going to be the same or do you think people are going to be decreasing their ABM budget, would you say? Well, I think it's, you know, if, 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 the, if the inflation continues and, and the recession starts to bite, um, I'm sad to say that I think it's almost inevitable marketing budgets will be hit. Then I think it's probably more a question of is the ABM budget within that marketing budget hit? Uh, and I suppose almost inevitably there will be a knock-on. But I, I would say if you have a choice of doing generic, you know, demand gen activity or running generic events in the hope that you might pick up some prospects versus actually let's focus on, you know, the 10, 50, 100 companies that are most likely to change our business next year, then I think, you know, my money would be on the ABM budgets being fairly well protected um, and hopefully fairly unaffected. But that might be me being an ABM uh, evangelist and obsessive and and perhaps, you know, a a little bit of wishful thinking there. Um, But I'm certainly optimistic that ABM isn't going anywhere in the next 12 months. Um, And I think that business will obviously need to continue to drive demand. And the question then is, how do they do it? If it was my money and my budget, I'd be investing in ABM over any kind of form of generic marketing activity. Yeah, no, I, I think that's sage advice. And speaking of the ABM census, um, this year's survey will go live next week. Um, so we'll include a link to that in the description of this podcast the second it's ready. Um, the census, which is being run in association with Sixth Sense, um, asks B2B marketers across the globe about their investment in ABM, You know whether that's one-to-one, one-to-few or one-to-many. Um, as well as their major challenges, opportunities, um, you know, and how they measure ABM, in fact. The findings of this survey are going to be written up in our official report, which we published at the Global ABM Conference on the 2nd of November. Um, so if you'd like to know how you compare with your competitors and, you know, whether or not people are, are indeed looking to increase or, or decrease their ABM budget in the face of a recession, um, you know, be sure to attend the conference and get access to the report as soon as it's live. Um, but Robert, my final question for you today We've obviously spoken a lot about, you know, the last 10 years in ABM. Um, But I'd just like to look forward to the next, you know, the coming 10 years. You know, I don't expect you to predict every world event or anything like that. Um, 
but what sort of core developments are you expecting? I, I know you mentioned AI, but is there is there perhaps anything else as well that you might think might impact ABM? Well, it's a big question, David. Um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that technology will continue to evolve uh, and clearly will drive some of the agenda with ABM. And that will, you know, it's it's obviously already happening from an intent and an AI perspective. I think there will be more technology available to help you profile and track the behavior and, and the performance of companies. There'll be more information about the stakeholders you want to talk to. I do, however, feel that there is something embedded in ABM, you know, particularly at that one-to-one level, that says it's still all about the strategy. It's still all about finding really cut-through messaging that's going to resonate with the customer by talking to them about their needs in their language in a way that they would recognize. So I think some of the fundamentals of ABM will, will just remain completely as is. But clearly, the technology will enable companies to be thinking more about how do we scale this thing. So it, you, you're still going to have that kind of age-old debate of one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many. How do we use those? But I think almost inevitably, people will start to think about how do we automate processes and how do we use AI and, and other new technologies coming down the pipe to make us more sophisticated in how we do that. Fantastic. Well, Robert, thank you very much for your time today. Um, Just a note to our audience as well. uh, If you'd like to find out more about the Global ABM Conference, uh, taking part in the census, or indeed Propolis, where you can hear much, much more from uh, from Robert, as well as our other numerous experts in different fields of marketing, um, I'll leave several links in the description so you can find out uh, as much as you like. So thank you very much, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. Bye.